So like I said, we do continue today. Actually, well, you might hear Acts of the Apostles next week, but that'll be the end. Uh, in the Acts of the Apostles and simply into the next chapter. We were in 16 last week. Now we're in 17. But where in the world is Paul? And as I said, he has arrived in Athens. That man can travel. We left him last week in prison with Silas in Philippi. They had not escaped, even though they had ample opportunity. Instead, they ended up baptizing the jailer and his entire family, celebrating with a big meal, and waiting for the authorities to show up. If you recall, they had been unjustly thrown into jail with the simple anti-Semite accusation, they are Jews, and that was all it took. When the authorities arrived, though, the next morning, Paul revealed that both he and Silas were actually Roman citizens, but they certainly had not been treated that way. So they were, of course, freed immediately and then quickly escorted out of the city. From there, they made their way down the coast, and eventually Paul hopped a sailing to Athens, where we find him today. He'd had some trouble along the journey, more of the same sort of thing, accused of inciting riots, proclaiming a god other than Caesar. And so he travels on alone today, leaving Silas and Timothy behind for a bit, waiting for them to catch up with him in Athens. Now, Athens is a metropolitan place, although it has slipped a bit since its heydays of the Greek Empire. Rome is the ruler now. But still, the city remains a center of deep-thinking intellectuals. It would pass for a modern-day Hyde Park or Harvard Square. But of course, it is also named for Athena, the goddess of wisdom and courage. A few other gods occupy the space in the culture of Athens as well, and Paul takes note of this upon his arrival. And of course, to Paul, the one who holds fast to the one God of Abraham, who trusts in the God of Abraham's son, Jesus, this is just all too much. They are all idols in Paul's book, Every Last God of Athens. And being Paul, he can't keep quiet about it. He goes about town talking to everyone he can about Jesus, about the one true God. Some listened, and of course, others dismissed him. But some were intrigued, or at least interested, in a new idea. Tell us more, they said. This is a new idea, something we've never heard before, actually like nothing we've ever heard before. And you can imagine that this was all Paul needed to grease his preaching wheels. His brilliance as an orator comes shining through in our scripture this morning. You heard him say he is disgusted by the junkyard of idols he has seen in his walks about town. But that is not how he begins with these strangers. Remember, Athens is not a Jewish community. There are some Jews that live there. But the folks Paul is encountering, the Epicureans and the Stoics, two groups that actually represent extreme philosophies, these folks know nothing of the God of Abraham. They have no history of the Torah, of Moses, of the Exodus, of the wisdom literature that Paul has lived by his entire life. But rather than decry the idol worship he sees everywhere around him, he reframes it in ways they may be open to. Rather than chastise them or scold them, berate and belittle them, 
he praises them. It is plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. Bam. You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. You open people's hearts and minds to you with compliments faster than with condemnations. He is priming the pump with them through flattery. Look how religious you are. And then he pivots into his big opportunity. Hey, you know what I saw in all that religious stuff of yours among all those altars and statues? I found a shrine inscribed to the God nobody knows. Now this is brilliant on his part. The Athenians have erected this shrine or altar to the unknown God just to cover their bases, just to make sure in their naive human nature they've not missed a God and offended them. Think what might happen if you didn't pay homage to some God out there. Think of the repercussions that might ensue. So just as insurance, so to speak, they have an altar to that unknown God. And Paul uses that to get his foot in the door, to open the door a crack for the God of Abraham to get in. It is brilliant. That God you don't know, guess what? I do know that God. And I am here now to share that God with you, to tell you all about that God so that you can worship that God properly. It's genius preaching. He goes on to tell them this unknown God is actually the God who made the world, the cosmos, everything and everyone. And then his preaching expertise goes back on display. He quotes one of their own poets to them. He uses their own culture to reach them, to connect with them. One of your poets said it well. We are the God created. It's masterful. Now, it's kind of fun to be a preacher preaching on one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. And it's a challenge to preach a sermon on a sermon by that preacher because there is so much material in his short little sermon. I could preach so many different themes from this little sermon he gave to the Athenians. I won't do that, but I will stick with the piece that really resonates with me for PCWS right now. We have spoken since I arrived about what it means to be a welcoming congregation. It came up from the youth area late last summer. The circle started asking some questions in September. Session recognized that we might have some learning to do in today's world. And at our congregational gathering last October, we lifted up that we are a welcoming group, but we also asked, what does that really look like and should look like in the 21st century church? We live in times when more folks have not been raised in the church than folks that have. Our language, our practices, our rituals and beliefs are foreign and alien to so many folks outside our walls. And sometimes I feel like we just continue on inside here doing the same old, same old, and then wondering why new folks don't show up to join us. And when I say that, I mean the church at large, not just this particular congregation. The truth is, 
we, the church, find ourselves to be the foreigners in this land and culture today. We find ourselves being dismissed easily. We find that most don't have a clue about what we really are about, what we believe, why we do the things we do. Add to that, there are so many idols out there today. An idol is anything more important to us than God. Anything that absorbs our heart and imagination more than God. Anything that we seek to give us what truly only God can. Our culture worships many modern-day idols, personal identity in the world, money and material possessions, status and job titles, physical appearance and exercise. Even social media can be an idol if people turn to it to fulfill themselves. It is Athens all over again out there. And this is where we can use Paul's sermon this morning to help us connect with those outside our walls, or at least use the principles that he used. First, he accepted the Athenian culture. He didn't condemn them or criticize them. Then he found a place of connection and complimented them on it. He got their attention by calling out and claiming what they had in common. They were both very religious. It wasn't Paul's kind of religion, but it was still a place of intersection. The church would do well to follow his example. Where are the places the culture and the church do cross boundaries? What does the culture long for that we also long for? What do we have in common with the unchurched, with those who might even disdain formal religion? And then how can we communicate that commonality to others? Here's the thing. Paul mentions in his short sermon a truth of humanity of all time. Everyone is in search of meaning. Why are we here? What is life about? And Paul uses this point of human intersection to connect with his audience, a foreign audience that knows nothing about the God of Abraham, the unchurched audience, if you will. And he tells them, we all long for the same thing. We all seek meaning and purpose as well as connection with each other. And all of this is and can be found in God, who is never far away, who is accessible to all, who we all live and move and have our lives in. And then he connects with these folks through their culture, not his. He quotes their poet back to them. He's telling them he cares enough about them as people to learn something about them. And not only that, but he values what this piece of their culture says. He finds his connection with them through their poet. So once again, as the church, where are we paying attention to the culture outside our walls? Where are we finding places of beauty, wisdom, inspiration, love, and truth outside the church but within the culture that surrounds us. 
Because at the end of the day, as Paul has craftily buried in his little sermon, God is behind all of it. God is the creator of all, the church and everything outside the church as well. God's grace is spread wide and far and among folks of every walk of life, and we, the church, can benefit from this. What we learn from Paul about connecting with outsiders is priceless. Find the points of commonality. Admire those. Find places of beauty, wisdom, and truth from the outside culture and lift those up as something that we, too, admire. Call out the common conditions of our human lives, those places of the heart that we all have in common, the searching and the longing, those are part of every human being's existence. And then, then share that we might want to all journey this life together, that together we might all be enriched and blessed by this God who is everywhere, who holds everyone, who is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. Paul teaches us that the Christian message must always be translated into the local culture. It must always be contextualized. And for that to happen, we must know the culture in which we swim. We must know what offends that culture. And we must know how to speak into that culture. Now, we are starting up an inclusivity task force here to ask just some of these questions to help us get to know the culture of our times better, to assist us in opening our doors even wider to folks who seek what we seek, what people of all times have been seeking, meaning and purpose to life, community with others, a depth to life that the idols of the culture can never provide. Now, I've talked in generalities here, but I want you to hear some specifics about this new task force. And so Rogers and Loretta are here from session because they are leading this endeavor, and so I'm going to turn the pulpit over to them. And I don't know who's going first. Rogers, okay. Good morning again. So this is a three-part uh, message, which the old rule is you have to hear things three times before they sink in. Um, so the scripture today is about Paul speaking in Athens, and in the new revised standard version, it speaks of those living in Athens, spending their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Now that is a commitment to learning. They open themselves to Paul's message, the good news that we know as Jesus. Not all embraced Paul's message. However, many wanted to hear more and ask for further discussion. Now, how Presbyterian is that? One of the things that draws me to this church is the encouragement to ask questions. Presbyterians ask questions, sometimes very tough questions. The Inclusivity Task Force presents an opportunity to investigate the questions forming a current discussion. And why do this? Because every person is our neighbor. Look to your left, look to your right, and even look inside yourself and think of 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We all have stories to tell. All of our stories should be heard. Sidney Harris, in Pieces of Eight, states the following paradox at the heart of the human situation. We can only know ourselves through knowing others, and we can only know others through knowing ourselves. However, some of our stories are told more freely than others due to our beliefs, our status, our financial well-being, our physical abilities, our age, our skin color, and even our sexual preference or gender identity. This is an opportunity to hear more, to investigate what is a new topic for many of us, but it's really an old commandment, love your neighbor. What does that mean? In true Presbyterian fashion, it means we're looking for help to ask those questions. And now Loretta has some more to add. They put a little thing up here since I've been in this pulpit. That's really kind of nice. Anyway. So Leslie and Rogers have been talking about being a welcoming place, and that describes our congregation. I also know that in our mission information form that the PNC, that's our pastor nominating committee, is using, I see the word welcoming. So welcoming, what does it mean? So I went to the dictionary and said, okay, what does it mean to be welcoming? Well, the dictionary says, it means behaving in a friendly way to someone who is arriving so they feel welcome. Simple as that, behaving in a friendly way. I think we do that here. I think we kind of behave in a friendly way when we see someone. But I think to be truly welcoming, we must also strive to be inclusive. What does that mean in the world in which we live today? Now, I have learned a lot, well, all over. I mean, it's a very different world than when I grew up. And I'm sure, it's a, as I look at the congregation here, it's a very different world than you grew up to. I've learned a lot in the past year uh, that the world is never changing. But some things that I've learned are this. Inclusive, accessibility, how grateful I am that we have an elevator since I've had the hip surgery, now rotator cuff, you know, I'm delighted. So now I see that we have those little buttons you can push to get in the door. I like that too. But what I've learned is I can't always hang my coat up because I can't get that shoulder up there. So it's like, you know, that's just one thing that I've learned. I attend the Bible study for the Presbyterian women that they do each month. When we started last fall to look at the study, we realized that one of the women who wrote the study identified herself using words from the LGBTQIA community that we did not understand. I have noticed on some of the Zoom calls I'm on, and you're in a little box, remember, you're in a little box, that your name is there, and some people put pronouns after that, different ones that I would identify with. But other people notice that as well about pronouns when communicating with their grandchildren. 
So we decided to postpone our Bible study and take a month to learn meaning of new words, words that we did not know much about. We learned new things, and we know in this ever-changing world we live in that we want to support those who may have felt unheard in the world in which we live. We are striving to be inclusive to our children. This summer, they're gonna be right there and they're gonna stay in worship the whole time. They're gonna be with us, so we're being inclusive to our children. Ben has reached out to, that's Ben is working with our youth, for those who don't know. He's reached out to Lyons Township High School students to come and join our students in our space and create games that I cannot comprehend or understand, but that's okay, that's awesome. I've reached out to the Presbytery and found that the First Presbyterian Church in Libertyville has a gender and bias task force. They put it together last year. I spoke to them and they're willing to share what they have learned. And right here in Western Springs, the First Congregational Church has an inclusion team that they put together in the last year. Both of those churches expressed that because of conversations that were happening among the congregation, they were learning what it means to be inclusive. To be truly welcoming, we need to be inclusive. So Rogers and I invite you to join a task force to help us learn more about the culture of our times. If you have questions, let us hear from you. Talk to Leslie or Rogers or myself, because we want to learn ways to be truly welcoming. Thank you. Thank you. They did put a big step in here, and I, it was really, they told me because it creaked, but I thought, I think it might have been because I was a little short, too. <laughs> so Loretta hadn't been in here. So I'm excited about this inclusivity task force, and one of the reasons is I talked so much about the culture outside doesn't know us. And I'll just give you an anecdotal story from Scott's in my life. We have some grandchildren that live in Denver, and the oldest one is in junior high. And when they came last summer, I mean, he knows what I do. He's been to church with us and everything. They, aren't, they don't go to church, though. They're not a churched family at all. Um, but he said to me, on the way in to town, I saw a church that had a rainbow flag in front of it. And he was truly puzzled. Because in his mind, what he hears outside these walls is that those two things cannot go together. And that was heartbreaking for me because I know. I know what the last church I served, I know the first church I served, I know this church. I know that, that, that we are welcoming and that we are inclusive. But part of what we need to do is help connect with that culture outside so that they know the same thing. Um, so it was a very moving moment for me. It was an eye-opening moment to realize that um, for this child, how, how could that happen? What did, well, he didn't even know what it meant. He couldn't put it all together. So if you have any questions, as Rogers and Loretta said, about what this might mean, what it looks like, if you just have questions about the culture around us and how it's changing, you want to learn something, this task force is for you. I really, really encourage you to pray over your gifts, your skills, and your questions. 
and see if you'd like to join in this discovery process. Teaching ourselves, because that's part of it, as Roger said, uh, like the Athenians, teaching about what's new in the world, but then also learning how we can uh, represent that welcoming attitude to the community outside our walls. So with that said, you can all join me in closing this little three-part sermon by saying, Amen. <laughs>